Today's scripture is from Isaiah 4 verses, sorry, Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word now, you have something for us. You have life for us. But if we're going to try to do this ourselves, we're going to grow weary and distracted and and discouraged. And so, Holy Spirit, be in our midst now. Open up our hearts for what you have for us and change us through the justice that you have brought to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Christmas is such a mixed bag, right? It's a mixed bag of emotions. It's a mixed bag of memories. Some are uh, sad memories. Some are surprises. Some are fun memories. Some are hard memories. When I was 13 years old and my brother, my younger brother was seven years old, we had opened up all of our presents. We were not a very wealthy family. My father was a minister, but, um, but they did well. They did well for us, and we had, we had good presents. And then my dad did like the quintessential Christmas thing where he went into the back room and he came out with a huge box that was taped up in a trash bag, and he gave it to my brother and I. My brother and I, for the last three years before that, we had wanted a Nintendo so bad. We opened it up, and much to my mom's chagrin, because she did not know that he went and bought this Nintendo, we got a Nintendo. And there is a VHS video of me and my brother opening this up. To this day, I will swear that the screaming, the very high-pitched screaming, was my brother in excitement <laughs> over getting that gift. Another fun memory that I have growing up was when my mom wanted us to dress up for, for um, Christmas one year. And so my mom dressed up like Charlie Chaplin. My mom has a very interesting hair. Uh, she, has a, she has an interesting cowlick in her hair, so she has to keep her hair very short. And so she dressed up like Charlie Chaplin. I don't remember what the rest of us dressed up with or in. And uh, during the morning, um, all the running around, the excitement of it, uh, my mom was getting kind of overheated. And so she, uh, her hair started to get very matted, matted down. Um, and uh, there's only two people in history who had a tiny little mustache uh, underneath their nose. Um, one was Charlie Chaplin. The other was Adolf Hitler. And by the end of Christmas morning, my mom looked a little bit more like Hitler than she did like Charlie Chaplin uh, with her hair matted down. And we have a picture of that somewhere locked away in a vault just in case we need blackmail. Fun memories. Then there's hard memories. I remember the Christmas that my brother and I, my older brother and I, got into a very uh, uh, sad altercation. Swearing and threats. And it led to a broken relationship that was broken for many, many years. 
There was Christmases where my aunt would come and surprise us from England. She would come and, and do lots of different fun things to surprise us for Christmas. A few years ago, she died from kidney cancer. You know, Christmas is such a mixed bag of emotions, of history, of memory. And Christmas, as we get older, I think reminds us of the deep longings of our heart. Fleming Rutledge has written a beautiful book about Advent, and this is what she says. In these stress-filled times, virtually all of us, as we get older, will seek relief by visiting in our imaginations a childhood Christmas of impossible perfection. These longings are powerful and can easily deceive us into grasping for a new toy, a new car, a new house, a new spouse to fill up the empty spaces where love belongs. Our longings are powerful, our needs bottomless, our cravings insatiable, our follies numberless. For those who cannot or will not look deeply into the human condition, then sentiment and nostalgia can masquerade as strategies for coping. But because it's all based on illusion and unreality, it cannot last. But it is not impossible to convey even to young children, the sense that the real meaning of Christmas lies precisely in the combination of the magical ceremonies and the grown-up message that in the very midst of our human selfishness, the waylaying love of God has broken through to us unconditionally. What Rutledge is saying is this, when we lean into the longings that we have at Christmas, then we find a God who surprises us again and again with his love in our deepest longings. That's my prayer for us this Advent season. Our longings are powerful and deep, and God's love shown to us at Christmas is deeper. The word Advent means the coming of a notable person or event. Advent has this underlying message of waiting, waiting for something or someone to break through into our deepest longings. Advent specifically for us, for Christians, is the waiting for the love of God to come and dwell with us. There's two Advents. The first Advent was about 400 years long. It was between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you have your Bibles and you turn to the book of Malachi, he's the last book in the Old Testament. And then there's a page. You turn that page over and you're already in the New Testament. That book is the book of Matthew. For us, it's a page. But for God's people, it was 400 years of waiting. 400 years of silence, 400 years of longing for a Messiah who is going to save them from horrible, desperate, and a hopeless situation. The book of Isaiah is a prophecy. It was a book written for those that are waiting. And that is why we're going to be looking specifically at Isaiah 42 over the next few weeks of Advent. Advent. 
To give you a little bit of background, though, for the Jews, when they got the book of Isaiah, the Jewish nation was broken up into two groups. The northern group was Israel, and the southern group was Judah. The Israelites were deep into idol worship. This brought a lot of immorality, which brought a lot of pain, which brought a lot of suffering to them. God eventually had enough of the Israelites' unfaithfulness, and so he handed them over to a group called the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a nasty bunch, and they swallowed up the Israelites. They persecuted them and oppressed them. Judah was likewise engaged in faithless living, and they also were judged by God and experienced exile. But Israel and Judah had something that they hung on to. They had a promise, a covenant from God. And that promise is summed up in what Miranda read for us from Isaiah 42. The promise is this, that one was going to come who was going to free them, who was going to bring with him justice. And in this justice, he was going to meet their deepest Longings that all things would be made right. Advent is this backwards story of an unlikely Savior who comes to save bruised and burned out people. I gave you that background to, uh, to Israel and Judah because that background is our background. Their unfaithfulness is our unfaithfulness. You know, the Bible is not a book about how we are the heroes. This book isn't about how humans do amazing things. The Bible is not a book about fortitude, overcoming obstacles, or humans' ability to achieve great things despite overwhelming odds. The Bible is not the story of humanity's capacity for kindness, character, or competency. The Bible is a story about how we are the villains. We are wicked. We are evil. We are rebellious. The Bible lays it out pretty clear that left to ourselves, we're going nowhere but down. And unless we are willing to see that, that you and I are the villain, then we are lost. And we need to recognize the depth of our sin so we know the might of our Savior. And without that, Without that understanding that we are villains and that we need a savior, Christmas is always a little bit empty. A few years ago, uh, maybe it's still going on, but there was a rash of TV shows with anti-heroes in them. Uh, shows like Breaking Bad or Sons of Anarchy or Mad Men where uh, the villains were celebrated. And I have to be honest, those shows always kind of capture my attention a little bit. I kind of like those shows as a, as a, um, a way of, of seeing how really dark humanity is. One thread, though, that runs through all of those shows is that the villain eventually ends up becoming a victim. In the end, they always end up getting hurt by the hands of others. You see, we're not just villains. We are also victims. 
We are hurt people that do bizarre things and hurt people. This is our condition. And God's wrath is against us because of our wickedness. And just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, we need someone to save us from God's anger and judgment. We need someone to bring justice because that is what we long for. For the Israelites in their exile, they waited and then finally it happened. Someone showed up with a message. After 400 years, this man named John the Baptist, showed up. John the Baptist was truly a radical and gnarly guy. This guy ate locust and honey, wore camel hair, lived out in the wilderness, and he spoke like an Old Testament prophet. And his message was this, repent and believe. Turn from your sin and put your faith in God. His message was not, Hey, you're a victim. It's so sad for you. You don't deserve to be in this mess. His message was not, you're righteous. You're the hero. And God's going to save you because of your goodness. He called the people to live, to live out repentance. Turning back to God. And to believe in him once again. And to get ready for someone called the God-man. The Messiah that was going to come and bring justice. But this Savior was not going to look how they expected. Because you see, my friends, Advent is the backward story of an unlikely Savior. Who comes, who comes to save bruised and burned out people. Our Advent is not as long as Israel's Advent. Our Advent is four weeks, not 400 years. Waiting for Jesus to return and to bring his kingdom. That is what we're doing right now. We're waiting. And the message is the same as we wait. Repent and believe in Jesus in your deepest longings. Believe that he can and will break into your bruised and burned out lives with a love that can change everything. So this Advent, that's what we're going to look at. The backward story of an unlikely Savior who comes to save bruised and burned out people. Why do I keep saying that Advent is a backwards story? Well, this passage helps us to look at it with me. Isaiah 42, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. This passage starts with a very backwards idea. The one who's going to come and bring this justice, this one who's going to come and make all things right, is a servant. Servants don't usually bring justice. Judges bring justice. Servants don't usually bring kingdoms. Kings bring kingdoms. Servants are usually humiliated, lowly, worthless, overlooked, insignificant. And this is why Advent is such a backwards story. The story of a king that doesn't show up in military power or fanfare or stomping on his enemies or establishing an earthly ca um, castle 
But Advent tells a story of a servant who looks like a nobody. But he is in fact, look at those words, upheld by God, chosen by God, delighted in by God, and filled with the Spirit of God. He was humble, this servant, even humiliated. He came to serve and not be served. He came without fanfare or born in a palace. You know, the story of Jesus is all just so backwards. Because this servant was no ordinary servant. He was going to meet the deepest longings of his people. It says he brings forth justice. Advent is the backward story of an unlikely savior who comes to save bruised and burned out people by bringing justice. What is justice? This passage, kind of a hot topic these days. I want to define justice from this passage. The word, the Hebrew word used in this passage, the word that the original hearers of this passage would have heard meant this. Making the right decision according to the law over a legal dispute. That is what justice is. Justice determines who is guilty who is innocent, and what is the punishment. Justice is the right decision according to the law that weighs out the evidence, listens to the testimony, and then makes a decision of who did what and how to make it right. At the core of justice, what this servant brings is he makes all things right. The justice that this servant was going to bring forth was going to make everything right. But as we talked about earlier, we are not the innocent or offended party. In fact, the Bible teaches us in Romans, we read it just earlier in the, in the service, that everyone is a sinner. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what's worse than that is that sin isn't just what you do. Sin is who you are. It is woven into your fabric of your soul, of your very being. A few weeks ago, I was here at the church and the internet was not working. And so I called up uh, the uh, technician. He came over and he found a wire that runs into the building. And the wire was really like, it's all, it was all like kinked up, all like uh, bent and tied into a knot. And who knows how it got that way. And he said, well, I fixed it. I straightened it out. But there's still a kink in it. And so your service is never going to be quite the same. That's what sin does. It puts a kink in us that we are never quite the same. Sin isn't what we do, it's what we are. (laughs) That's good English. It's who we are. That is sin. It is an indelible stain in our hearts. The nature that has curved our minds and kinks our emotions and leads us to do bizarre and hurtful things. Which means we are the villains and the victims and we need justice. But this statement that this servant is going to come and bring forth justice to the nations should terrify us. Because where does that put us? 
if he's going to bring forth justice, he's going to make all things right that are wrong. He's going to weigh out the evidence, hear the testimony, and then pass judgment. Where does that put us? Because we are guilty. Remember, Advent is the backward story of an unlikely Savior. You see, Jesus handles our sin. The extent of justice that Jesus brings starts with our spiritual condition. The condition that we are not right with God. And so Christ comes at Christmas as a servant to fix what we can't. To obey in a way that we never would. And to live before God and others in a way that restores dignity and makes peace with God. The justice that Christ brings to the nations restores us spiritually and then restores us physically to the image and dignity that God gave us. Christ's justice is not our justice. For he was the perfect one, and he took all of our sins, our shame, our guilt, and gave us his perfection and his righteousness. It's almost like the judge coming off the bench after declaring someone guilty of murder and then saying, I will take your punishment. And in this justice, Jesus restores us to God by his sacrifice on the cross. And he restores our dignity that is so terribly marred. We understand this, right? Dignity. Dignity that we have destroyed by our sinfulness and by our villainous living. We have worshipped the creation we read earlier in the passage in, in the worship service, and not the Creator, which led, which leads us to say and to do and to think horrible things. We are all guilty. We have destroyed dignity by oppressing others, by hurting others, by hurting ourselves, by our selfishness and pride and bitterness. My friends, the Bible teaches us that we call evil good and good evil. We are unjust. It is who we are. It is what we do. Do you see? The situation is hopeless. We have to see the situation is hopeless. Otherwise, we will never see the hope that comes to us at Christmas. That Christ comes as the servant of God. To bring forth justice. And he does that. How? Not by screaming at you. Not by wagging his finger in your face. He comes to you not berating you. Or making you feel bad. Look at what he does in verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. Or make it heard in the street. How does Jesus, this unlikely Savior, come to the bruised and the burned out, gentle and lowly, humble and meek? Looking for the bruised and looking for the burned out, my friends, Advent tells of the backward story of an unlikely Savior who comes to save bruised and burned out people. And this 
is the good news of the gospel, that you are a villain and you are a victim and God sees you and your deepest longings that all and makes all things right by sending Jesus, his servant. This is what is promised in the passage that we experience in this Advent as we wait. The promise that God is for us, that he has saved us, and that he is coming back for us. And when Christ comes back, he doesn't come back as a baby. He comes back as a conquering king to establish justice once and for all. But as we wait, we need to remember who this Savior is looking for. This Savior isn't looking for those that are put together. He's not looking for those who think that they are well. He's not looking for those who rely on virtue or their own goodness to save them. Those who don't acknowledge that they are villains. He is looking for bruised reeds and burned out candles. This Savior is looking for those who are broken, who are useless, worthless, downcast, and outcast. The bruised and the burned out are those who know their sin, who have tasted God's wrath, those that are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. This morning, friend, if you are sitting there under the weight of your sin, if you are discouraged and worn out and weary by your sin, my friend, Advent is for you. Advent is the backward story of an unlikely Savior, God himself, who comes to save the bruised and the burned out. And if, and it says here that in his mission, in his mission to find the bruised and the burned out, he will not grow weary and he will not be discouraged. In Florida, I had one of my youth come walk into my office one day. He had done something that was wrong. He had sinned and he was crushed under the weight of his sin. By the way, that is a mercy of God when you feel the weight of your sin because then you can feel the weight of his love. And he said, what should I do? And he sat there in his tears. And I did what I only knew what to do. I said, let's go play ping pong. And as we played ping pong, we talked. We talked about what he did and why he did it. And then we read from Romans 7, which talks about our sin and talks about our Savior. And then I gave him a hug. And then I said to him, Jesus is not afraid of your sin. I want you to hear these words from Dane Orland. From Gentle and Lowly. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes where divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. Mm. 
It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like yours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him. But the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sin does not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on the day when we stand before him, quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. My friends, that's Advent. Advent is the backward story of an unlikely Savior who comes to save the bruised and the burned out. So what does it mean for you and me this Advent? It means that we need to come to Jesus because he is for us. He has brought forth justice, the justice we need that we long for, that we could never bring ourselves. Justice that is where righteousness and peace kiss upon that cross. Justice now means that our dignity has been restored in Christ. And that means we can live out of that dignity towards others. We have a message for this world that there is dignity in Christ. And just as Christ came to us as bruised and burned out people, we can now go to others who are bruised and burned out and tell them of the backward story of an unlikely Savior who came to save people just like us. And then this Advent, we come to this table knowing that we have been declared innocent by Christ. That we have been forgiven completely and totally by Jesus, the one who brought forth justice for us. Let's go there now. Let's pray. Father God, what good news this is that you meet the deepest longings of our heart. The deep, the deep brokenness of our sin that you have indeed restored us fully and completely in Christ. Father, lift up our heads to see the sun once again. Bind up our hearts so that we will believe. And Lord, pour out your spirit on us and change us from the inside out. This Advent season, be near us, the bruised and the burned out. And show us once again the beauty of Jesus and what you've done. Do that now as we come to the table. It's in your name we pray. Amen.